It's always great to visit with Dr. Rick Lehman, and we welcome you to another podcast here on ClavesOnline.com. And Rick, there's so much going on in the world, man. And who knew? Who would have known that medicine and sports would have such a close relationship? Not wanted either one wanted, but it's one that we're stuck with, and I think we're going to be stuck with it for a while. So, one of the questions that I have for you today is. As we see COVID-19 impact our, our sports world, the, the concern I have is what about the athlete who's winding his career down? You know, maybe he's at that point where maybe he has a year, maybe two left, or maybe the skill level just isn't what it needs to be. So is he, um, because he hasn't played and he hasn't done a lot of working out and he hasn't gone through the season where his body's been taxed, A, does he have an advantage to his body by not playing, or B, uh, does the clock, uh, the age clock continue to click? And you know what? What outweighs the other? Is it mental versus physical? And you know what? What are the signs that you look for to see if, okay, well, you know what? Father time is caught up and no matter how many days he's had off, this is it. And it may not get any better. You know, it's a really good question. And, and I think you look at it two ways. I think the real answer to the question is, a shortened season, 60-game season, is at a huge advantage for these older players. And, yes, father time is going to continue to click, but the ability to rest, to play one-third of the games, to have this time off, to heal, certainly is in the favor of the older athlete versus the younger athlete. And I think you're going to notice that in the early part of the season. So I think you're going to see a lot of these older guys and I don't want to mention any names throughout the league, but guys that are 30, 32, 35, maybe have a year or two left, and they're going to start out, and they're going to start out pretty well. And they may die down by the end of the season, but dying down at game 60 in this year is the end of the season. We're dying down in a regular season. You're not even the halfway, you're not even at the all-star break yet. So I think that this is almost a break and going to add a year to some of these athletes' careers where if you're a younger athlete, you haven't trained, I think it's almost to your disadvantage because you got a lot to learn. There's nothing Adam Wainwright has to learn. He, he knows how to pitch. So I think to guys like that, this is going to be a big bump up. You know, when they come back, and, and obviously some of these guys or most of these guys have been working out and, and trying to get themselves ready to go again and jumpstart themselves – you know, the, the the body has a great way of working with the brain, and, and they know what the calendar is like. How long do you think the timing will come for an athlete to make sure the timing works where the body and brain are in sync because there's a certain day on the calendar that it's been used to performing at? You know, that's another really good question, and I think you're probably looking at a – if you look at the, the literature, you look at its – Medical science, it's 21 days to 23 days. So that's the answer. That's the official answer to your question. And I, and I do think it's going to take guys two, three weeks to kind of get back on track. But you brought up something a second ago, which is probably the biggest factor, and that's the mental part of the game. And you got guys in the NBA that are just opting out. And the reason they're opting out is because they're afraid of the coronavirus. They just can't get their head around starting back up. Another training camp, starting the season at the end of the year, and then going into the playoffs. I don't think that they're afraid that they're going to get sick. I just think the whole process, not having it the way they're used to it, and a completely different environment is very challenging. And I think you have the same situation here in baseball. I think guys are going to have a little trouble getting their their, their arms wrapped around a 60-game season. 
And I think they're going to have to engage a lot earlier. They don't have the whole offseason to think about it, where they know they have a timetable. They know spring training starts this day. They know the season starts this day. So I think you're, you're, the answer to your question is 21 days, but I think some guys are going to adapt pretty well and some guys are going to adapt very poorly. And, and, you know, the other thing with that is I think we'll see guys that will push it too hard and they'll tweak something. And, and you, I think you touched on this earlier. Uh, Tommy John, there may be a market on Tommy John surgeries because some guys will <laughs> overdo it. But then you're going to have other guys that are saying, hey, look, I'm going to just try and get through the season. And I've always found that the guy who tries to hold back is the one that gets hurt the quickest. So there, there are so many intangibles to me that, that come into play here. So this is a situation would you think that you really have to know your body and you have to be mentally be able to gauge what you can do and how you can do it and, and whether it means going all out or having something in the tank later, um, this is a situation where I think everybody's just got to say, I'm going to do what I can feel comfortable with and I can re- have some reserves if I need to, but you normally won't because they're going to turn you loose for just a short period of time. Well, I think that's right. And, and you got to realize this isn't going to be like your typical season. So there's going to be a lot more games. There's going to be a lot more probably double headers, there's going to be a lot of compactness, fewer days off, et cetera. And, and, and that's a factor. And, and I think you're right. I think the guy who's trying to hold back and cruise, that's not the way to play baseball. And that's really not the way to play any sport. So I think you go out hard, you do the best you can, but your body is going to listen to your brain. And if your brain is telling you, you need to get off, you need to back off a little bit, you're going to do that. And it's the guys that don't have that feedback to get hurt. I also think that it will be interesting to see who ends up where at the end of the season. You know, your, your question is going to get answered, and that is, are the older guys going to really shine, which is what I think is going to happen, or are they also just at the end of the season going to be just like at the end of a regular season? They're a little injured, they're a little slower, they're a little burnt out, and they don't shine. So this is going to be actually a significant learning experience for the medical sports medicine community to see, you know, who ends up at the top of the heap here. Copious notes will be important, as you mentioned, for the sports industry, the medical industry. Uh, there could be a lot of case studies done from this, I'm sure, uh, with regard to how players reacted. And now that we're in the age of performance and how everything is so well documented, this is going to be a treasure trove for med schools and sports medicine and certainly orthopedic surgeons for years to come. No doubt. I mean, we're looking at bat speed and the angle of the ball comes off the bat and velocity and all the things we measure that we didn't even measure 10 years ago and all those things are going to like you said kind of go into the books and 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 we're going to really assess the season and we're going to try to understand human nature aging sports performance and all the information that can be gleaned and what is the time off What, what happens to a guy who's taking this kind of time off and maybe we should have a short baseball season. Maybe at the end of this, someone says, you know, we should only be playing 120 or 130 games. So I think there's going to be a lot of information, and I think there's going to be conclusions from this that baseball may or may not like, but the sports medicine people, the, 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 the true scientists, they're going to come up, and they're going to have a lot of information, and they're going to have a lot of conclusions, and whether anybody listens to those conclusions is immaterial, but it's going to have us understanding recovery the mental capacity, aging, much better. 
For you, when we look at hockey, basketball, baseball, is hockey going to be the one with the greatest challenge of players coming back? Because in basketball, I can find a court anywhere. In baseball, I can stay in the cage or I can throw on the side. But in hockey, there weren't as many rinks available for people to skate with any regularity. And, and I think of the three, it's the best, it's the most demanding sport physically. Will they have the greatest challenge of recovery and will the three weeks of training camp be enough? Well, I think the answer to your question is no. I don't think three weeks are going to do it. Guys eventually checked out. And that's the other thing. You know, a lot of guys are sitting home. They're not saying, when are we going to play? I'm ready to play. A lot of guys are just, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And it's hard to really train hard not knowing when your start date is or if there's going to be a start date. And I completely agree. I think hockey's tough because to go out and and play some five-on-five or three-on-three or skate or do drills when – you live in a place where maybe ice isn't available, there's only a few sheets, is going to be very tough. And and the other thing is, are you going to really book ice three, four days a week like you would be practicing five, six days? Of course not. So even if you had the best intentions, I think the dynamics of, like you said, you can always find a basketball hoop, you can always find a gym, you can always find a batting cage, but if you could have find a giant sheet of ice that you could borrow five, six days a week for a couple hours. That's going to be a hard ticket for those guys. And I think that lack of skating is going to show. And again, like you said, Tommy John injuries, I think we're going to have a rash injury like we've not seen before. I got to talk about tennis with you. Novak Djokovic had his uh, little weekend. He had some tournaments (laughs) in his country. And and apparently he apparently didn't hear about this COVID-19 because everybody was showing up and now everybody's testing positive, including him and his wife. Uh, what was he thinking? And I know tennis, to me, would have been one of the safest sports to play because of the distance. But they just assumed that everybody else was going to be be safe. And this thing has really spawned into something that's going to be real critical for tennis, especially with the U.S. Open a couple of months away. Well, first of all, Mike Djokovic and his wife, Elena, look ridiculous. And Gregor Dimitrov and all the people at this party, you know, they got these pictures of these guys with their shirts off, partying. And, and, and that's not conducive, whether it's guys on a boat at the University of Miami or no matter where it is pictures of guys partying is is negative and now all of a sudden you're, you're you got these pictures in the middle of a pandemic when people 120,000 people have died in the states so you know to look at it from a media standpoint they all look like idiots now from a medical standpoint they're thinking like idiots right i mean you really want to get together have a drinking bash and a big party when you don't know who's positive and who's negative and you don't know what the repercussions are. So, again, I agree with you. I think you take a bunch of tennis players, you stick them on the tennis court, they're more than six feet apart. It's easy to social distance. But you put them all in the locker room or you put them in a big press conference or you get them all together. But, yeah, same situation that you have in football, and that is you're not social distancing, you're very contagious, and you're passing the virus from person to person, which is exactly what they did. And I think people can learn from this. And what's the answer? The answer is, you know, stay away from people until this thing passes. doesn't matter if it's a swimming pool or your house or football field. You're going to pass the virus on because someone's going to have the virus. And if people are going to continue to do dumb things, this virus is going to go away a lot slower. You know, we, we find that a lot of these young athletes have it. 
Uh, many of them are asymptomatic and they'll survive with very little, you know, setback. Uh, there'll be a few, but I'm sure some of those athletes will have some other pre-existing condition that they didn't know about. But the challenge is they're going to pass it on to people who may not be equipped from an immune standpoint. Isn't that the greater concern because they can pass it on to coaches or family members that are older and senior that can't doesn't have the, the, the makeup to be able to combat this like they would at 23 or 24, 25 years old? And I think that's the big fear. So, you know, what are the fears? The fear is, you know, Djokovic is asymptomatic. He tests positive, but so what? He's not sick. He gives it to his grandfather, who's 81 years old, and he's got a history of, asthma or maybe had cancer treatment or whatever, he gets it and he ends up on a ventilator or his coach is 60 or 70 years old or Dusty Baker's whatever age he is. So these 71. are the people that are at risk. 71. So these are the people that are at risk. You know, and you're right. It's not the 23-year-old who's in great shape, got a strong immune system. That's not the guy that's going to cause the damage. He may get it. No harm, no foul. But what about grandpa, you know, who's basically bedridden or who might be in a nursing home or who's already had cancer treatment. That's the guy who's going to get it and he's not going to survive. So I think we have to, it's like a chess game. You got to be two, three moves ahead and, and be more responsible when you're thinking about this virus. You know, but for some of these people who may not be smart enough to play chess, let's break this down, bring it down to checkers. Okay, so then that way everybody can be on board here. Munganass St. Louis Acura would like to extend a huge thank you to our healthcare workers and first responders by offering them several service specials, including a free interior detail cleaning. You can call them today to make your appointment and let them help you while you are helping our community. Find them online at stlouisacura.com or give them a call 314-822-2872 for Munganass St. Louis Acura. We love talking to the president and chairman of Ameren, Illinois. He is Richard Mark. Emergency Operations Center acts as kind of a central command center, and everything is dictated from there. They tell the crews that are out in the field where to go, where the main breakers are to go to to de-energize the line, and then they verify that that line is closed, and they're able to tell five, six, seven hundred people that are working out in the field exactly where to go to make the proper repairs to get our system back on in a storm situation. You've been studying this from day one. You you kind of had a head start on this whole COVID thing. So from what we've learned uh, about the virus, what do you find that works and, and doesn't work with respect to the true safety protocol? Everybody says, wash your hands, now wear a mask. Those are the two basic things. But what are some of the things you feel that can can certainly help prevent it? Because we don't have a cure to 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 uh, get rid of it. So what are some of the things you continue to feel like are comfortable that you can feel that we've learned that actually works compared to, you know, throwing things on the wall on a regular basis? So, you know, I think it's a work in progress. So right now I'm convinced that everybody, whether you're working from home, you're working in an office, you're not working, everybody needs to work out at least four days a week for 40 minutes. And and why is that? That's going to help your immune system, and that's your biggest hedge against having a problem. Number two, and I wouldn't have said this two weeks ago, but the studies are showing everybody should take an aspirin a day. Why? Because it's a pulmonary disease. You know, when you die from it or you get sick from it, it's your lungs that are going south. So that stops the clotting in your lungs, 
your chances of having a severe effect if you get the virus are much less if you take an aspirin. Now, anybody who's on any kind of diabetic medication, metformin, there's a bunch of diabetic medication, the incidence of people on metformin and these other anti-diabetic medications goes way down. So, again, you know, if you have access to some of these drugs, those drugs are going to help you. Uh, we talked about the zinc. We talked about colloidal silver. Those are all immune system uh, supplements that are going to help you, and you want to take anything that's going to help your immune system. And the last thing, which, again, I would have said two weeks ago, is I think you have to cut your carbs down. The studies are showing that people on high-protein diets are much less affected, and when they are affected, the incidence of going on a ventilator, ending up in the hospital, being sick for longer than two weeks goes down. So there are some things to be done where you can kind of make yourself a lot better of a specimen, and even if you get it, you're not going to A, end up in the hospital and not end up as sick. So I think those are the keys. And again, in a month or two or three weeks, more data will come out, and this is probably a work in progress. Let's talk a little bit about the youth level because um, a lot of states are relaxing some of the rules where they're allowing kids to get out and get involved, and that means parents and the whole nine yards. Uh, what are some of the, the, the things that we should be paying closer attention to you if you're a parent and your youngster is involved in some sort of youth activity? So I think the biggest thing in youth activities, you're not going to test all these kids. You know, they're 10, 12. You're not going to stick that thing up their nose all the way to the brain. That's just not right. So you have to think that the testing is going to be limited as it should be. So what do you have to do? You have to social distance a little bit. You have to wash the baseballs. You have to wash the footballs, whatever the sport is. And you have to wash the hockey pads, which I can tell you, mm. the team doctor for three NHL teams, no one ever did. So I think there's a lot of, of sanitizing that needs to start or continue. Number two, I think these kids need to hydrate. You need to make sure your kids are well hydrated. Dehydrated kids have a better chance of getting the virus, so you want to hydrate your kids. There's been some studies to show that the virus lasts 34 minutes in a hot, humid environment. So you want your kids playing outdoors as opposed to indoors. And that's a little bit of a change because everybody's been sheltering in place. But you want your kid outdoors. The virus is much less healthy outdoors. And I think the last thing, and this is probably one of the most important, and we just kind of touched upon it. If you have somebody in your, you know, an extended family, and they, for whatever reason, are fragile, you got to keep your kids away from those people because they're going to be asymptomatic, but they can pass it on just like anybody else can pass it on, like nobody's business. And it's those fragile people that are at risk. Dr. Rick Lehman is our guest. And, and Rick, you you have gone back to having uh, patients come visit you and performing surgeries as well. What's the biggest thing you've seen change in your business from the moment a person gets to the door and checks in to the moment they are sewn up and they can be on their merry way? Well, first of all, our world's upside down right now. Everybody gets COVID tested 100%. And you can't have a surgery right now without having a negative, negative COVID test. So you could be totally asymptomatic. You could feel great. You could have just run the Boston Marathon. That's positive, not having surgery. So that's the first thing. The second thing is everybody gets their temperature taken, which I don't think really has any value. Everybody has a history. 
meaning if you've been out of the state, you have to self-quarantine for two weeks before you can have surgery. Every room is absolutely cleansed, clots down, just like an infection kind of case between every single case. All the personnel are COVID tested every week. So we're asking everyone to get COVID tested every week, which is a lot to ask the nursing and the medical staff. And the last thing we're doing is we're putting barriers up during the surgery. So, you know, when you have surgery, you have that tube coming out of your throat called an ET tube. And not only are we blocking off the ET tube, we're blocking off the whole half of the patient. They look like tents, see-through tents, so that there's absolutely no cross-ventilation in the room at all. I mean, it looks like Star Wars. So, again, it takes a lot longer to have your surgery. Uh, the costs are going through the roof. But it's the only safe way to do it. And as I tell people, and I think you would agree, if you're going to be a patient, bring your patience. <laughs> and that's exactly right. Especially, and I think that may be on board for a while. You know, I don't see us taking off the mass as healthcare professionals for a while. And, and I don't think things are going to speed up. You know, we used to have 50, 60 people in the waiting room, and now no one's in the waiting room. They sit in their cars. So you're right. You know, if you're a patient, I may have to steal that one from you, Mike. That's all right. You, it, that one's on me. I've already copywritten it, and I'll sign a waiver for, for you and you only to use it. <laughs> Rick Lehman, as always, it's great to visit with you. We're a little smarter now, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how things come back. Oh, one other question for you. Because we're, we're seeing players who come back. And we're seeing the, the, the rates go higher. And obviously, there are a lot of reasons. There's obviously more testing that's taking place. We need to come to the conclusion that if we're going to play sports, somebody's going to test positive. So while there should be concern, I'm not sure if we can create wide scale panic uh, because I think this virus is going to be here with us for a while. And we need to learn how to cope with it because we can't run from it. So you, you just said probably the most important thing of the whole podcast, and that is, okay, Yadier Molina gets test positive. And you're right, someone or some, a bunch of someones are going to test positive. So you need to have everything in place when that happens. Not if that happens, when that happens, because it's going to happen mm -hmm. just like you said. So are you going to quarantine the whole team? Does Yadier have to not play and not show up for two weeks? H how are we going to deal with that? Because this is going to happen on a routine basis. Are you going to take him out of the lineup? Are all the pitchers gone? What are you going to do? And so right now, if I'm Major League Baseball or I'm the NHL or I'm the NBA, I have a protocol. LeBron James is positive. What are we going to do? And, and until those rules are in place and they're standard, because it's not going to be fair if LeBron plays, you know, but uh, Anthony Davis doesn't play. I mean, there's going to have to be this is the way it is. This is fair for everybody. And those rules are not in place. And I think until those rules are in place, it's going to be a free-for-all because everyone's going to complain if it's done differently with every team. He's Dr. Rick Lehman. I'm Mike Claiborne. This has been the podcast. Of course, it's on ClavesOnline.com. We thank you for listening, and we'll be back with another exciting episode here on Claves Online before you know it.